Welcome back to Final Argument, The Disappearance of District Attorney Ray Gricar. I'm Rebecca Knight. This is a big episode, and I have a lot to get to. In the last episode, I promised you I would expose the red herrings of this case. But before I do that, I wanted to do a little bit of what Ray Gricar would have called housekeeping. It's a term that attorneys often use. That means to tidy up in a way and clarify a few things before they begin proceedings. First of all, the episodes of this podcast are coming out as I continue to report on this case. Remember, this is still an open police investigation. The case is not closed on Ray Grickar's disappearance. And I'm reporting on events that did happen and are still happening. And my mission is clear. To see that a statewide grand jury is called into the investigation of District Attorney Ray Grickar's disappearance. Another bit of housekeeping. This episode has been released just after the Pennsylvania primary election, and now we know who is running for governor. Why does this matter in the case of the missing district attorney? And don't get me wrong, I don't have a dog in the fight for who the next governor of Pennsylvania is going to be. My only fight is for Ray Gricar and to get justice for him. The next governor of Pennsylvania could be the one to finally convene a statewide grand jury into Mr. Gricar's disappearance. So I've been looking at these gubernatorial candidates for Pennsylvania through the lens of who might finally support opening a statewide grand jury investigation into Ray Gricar's disappearance. We have Josh Shapiro, a Democrat, who ran unopposed in the primary, and he put himself on the map with a landmark grand jury investigation into child sexual abuse cover-up inside Pennsylvania's Roman Catholic Diocese. And we have State Senator Mastriano, who has had a stellar career in the military, and as a matter of fact was serving in the Army in Europe when Ray Grickar went missing in 2005. And State Senator Jake Corman was in the running for the Republican nomination to be the next governor of Pennsylvania. He dropped out of the primary race at the 11th hour. Mr. Corman is from Center County, Mr. Grickard's county. Corman is an alum of Penn State University, and he also served on the board of Jerry Sandusky's Second Mile Charity back in 2009. And if you recall, I told you in an earlier episode that the governor of the state of Pennsylvania automatically gets a seat on the board of trustees at Penn State University. So if Jake Corman had been the Republican candidate, and then ultimately won the governorship in November. He would have gotten that seat on the board at Penn State University. And I really wondered, given Mr. Corman's deep roots in Center County, had he become the next governor of Pennsylvania, would he have convened a statewide grand jury into the investigation of Grickar's disappearance? Do you think he would have done it? Let's put it this way. I was relieved when Mr. Corman gave up his bid to be governor. But let me make something clear. Jake Corman is out of the race for governor, but he is not out of this story. Not yet. Not by a long shot. Later in this episode, you will hear Jake Corman's name come up again. And in a very curious way, I'll just say that much for now. More on Mr. Corman later. And one final bit of housekeeping. Later in this episode... I have Bruce Castor on the record 
in an exclusive interview. Mr. Castor was District Attorney of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania in 2005 when Ray Grigar went missing. I will be playing part of an interview I did with him recently as it pertains to what he tried to do to help with the Grigar investigation in 2005. How he began an investigation into the finances of Jerry Sandusky's Second Mile Charity in 2016 and how that investigation was shut down. So with housekeeping out of the way, let's begin with the red herrings. In case you're not familiar with the definition of red herring, it's a term used to describe something meant to mislead or divert attention from the real question. Actually, I checked it out, and I found out that the term red herring has been around since 1686. Now, I've said before, there are many red herrings in this case, And by introducing them one by one, I feel that you will begin to see the same patterns I began to see as I cross-referenced my interviews with the actual police case file on this. And something to remember as we're going along, I'm giving you these red herrings in the order in which I believe they were presented, or should I say fed, to the public after Grigar vanished in 2005. Let's begin. In November of 2021, I sent an email to the current Deputy District Attorney of Center County, Pennsylvania, Mark Smith Esquire. Who is Mark Smith and why did I email him? Well, Mark Smith has been working in the Center County District Attorney's Office for over 37 years. He was appointed to be first assistant district attorney by Ray Grigar in 1986. So basically for about 20 years, Mark Smith was Ray Grigar's right-hand man. And when Grigar went missing in 2005, Smith became the acting district attorney in Grigar's absence. I sent that email to Mark Smith because I had been aware of a story something that had happened early in the investigation of Grigar's disappearance. Over the course of my years reporting on this, I talked with several people who worked with Mark Smith, and one by one, over time, they gave me their recollections of this event, and they all told me virtually the same story, that very soon after Grigar disappeared, Smith walked into his own office, and he saw a book on his desk. It was a volume of Purden's Pennsylvania Statutes. And the story goes that Mark Smith asked the question, Why is this book on my desk? Purden's Pennsylvania Statutes is a legal research tool that comprises over 100 volumes. They cover state legislative history, enacting and amending laws, and they are the reference books that anyone in the legal profession uses in Pennsylvania, whether they're a lawyer, law clerk, or judge. You get the point. Now, since these books are so often used by the legal profession, I wondered, when I first heard this story, and having worked as a paralegal myself many moons ago, and being somewhat familiar with Purden's Pennsylvania statutes, I remember thinking, Why would it be unusual for Smith to find a volume of Purden's Pennsylvania statutes on his desk? 
But setting that aside for a moment, the next thing I learned is that Mark Smith says he looks at this particular volume of Purton's and he says he heard about this trick that if a book is closed, you can find out what page the last person was on who had the book before you by placing the spine of the book on a table and then you pull your hands away from the outside of the book and it will fall open. And Mark Smith apparently did this. He put the spine of that book of Purden statutes on his desk and let it go and it fell open to a certain page and wait for it. Supposedly the page it opened to was the statute that states who takes over if the district attorney is incapacitated or absent for some reason that would prevent him or her from conducting the duties of the office. I know. I'm starting to think of, like, Columbo at this point, right? And further, this statute states that the first district attorney becomes the acting district attorney. And that was Mark Smith in 2005. Now, I spoke to several sources inside the DA's office because I thought this sounded like a lot of hooey. But everyone I talked to said this story was true, and some of them told me they had even learned about this incident from Mark Smith himself. Well, needless to say, I was intrigued. Out of the 107 volumes of Purdens, this is the one on Mark Smith's desk, and he finds it right after Mr. Grickar disappears? And it's the one volume that has the answer as to what to do if the DA is gone or incapacitated. And it's on the first district attorney's desk that is Mark Smith's. Was this magic? Can you imagine how relieved Mark Smith must have been to find out at that moment that he was going to be the acting district attorney in Ray Grickar's absence? I mean, think about that. What if the book hadn't opened to that page? What would have happened to the DA's office? How would they have known? Who was to take over? I'm clutching my pearls as I say these words, but wait a minute. Mark Smith was Ray Grickar's right-hand man for at least 20 years by then. I mean, he sateth on the right hand, so to speak. Do you really think it was news to him that he would be the one to take over as acting DA if something happened to Grigar? Do you think after all those years they worked together that maybe at some point somebody didn't look at the other and say, hey, what if something happens to me? Or something like that. Or what if something happens to you? I sort of hear this conversation going on between these two men. Could you imagine a conversation like this happening? But let's just put a pin in that one for now, Okay. If you remember back in the late 90s, when I told you about how Ray Grickar took off, it was actually for a day and a half, he went to see the Cleveland Indians play a doubleheader at home. Yeah, I know, now they're called the Cleveland Guardians. But he went basically AWOL, in a sense that he didn't tell his wife or anyone at the Belfont Police Department or anyone at the courthouse that he was leaving town. And when he returned after his little jaunt, 
it was reported that he was equally surprised and deeply embarrassed that anyone was even looking for him or missing him. I wonder if he was testing the water, so to speak, to see if he could get away with it, you know? In a sense, I mean, he was the top cop in the county. Was he testing his own law enforcement then? I don't know, but needless to say, when he didn't come home that first night, his family became concerned, and the next day, they notified the Belfont Police Department. There was, from all accounts, a scramble to try and figure out where Grikar was, but no bolo was put out on him. And then, just when everyone was at their wit's end, Ray Grikar came back. I was told he felt just terrible about the whole thing. He didn't mean to worry anyone. Personally speaking, I have to say, I think it was a little naive of Mr. Grikar to do this, given his position. But he loved his Cleveland Indians, and sometimes a guy just has to get away for a while, you know? But the takeaway point for me on this was that when he came back from that trip, he promised his family, the police, the people in his office, all of them, that he would never take off like that again, ever. He promised everyone he wouldn't do anything like that again. And he said he was sorry that he had caused so much worry. Now, with everything that I've told you about Ray Grikar so far in this podcast, do you really think that he broke his promise to his family and the police and his colleagues on April 15th, 2005, when he left the house he shared with his girlfriend, Patty Fornicola, got into the red and white Mini Cooper, and left. I'm just asking you to listen to and look at the evidence I'm presenting to you. And I think that you will see that Mr. Grikar did not go back on his promise. If you recall, he did phone Patty on the morning of April 15, 2005. He told her he was taking a drive and that he would not be home in time to let their dog Honey outside and that he would be seeing her that evening. So here's a man that is absolutely staying in touch with someone. He was keeping his promise he made to always let someone know when he was going to be away. And that's just what he did on the day he disappeared. He told someone. He called Patty from his cell phone a little after 11 o'clock that morning, and he told her what his plans were for the day. But let's get back to Mark Smith and this event with the book opening to the exact page, etc. According to several sources, you know what happens after Smith sees where the book opens? He says something like this. Was Ray trying to leave a message about what to do in case he was gone? Well, let's look at the facts. Ray Grikar was in his office at the Center County Courthouse for a few hours the night before he disappeared. Patty Fornicola told the police that Ray went into the office to get caught up on some work, and a surveillance camera shows footage of Grikar going in and coming out of the courthouse on the night of April 14, 2005. So what was Ray Grikar doing at his office the night before he disappeared? Mark Smith says he found this volume of Purden statutes on his desk. Does that mean that Grikar put it there? 
This story of the great book opening, as I call it, was told inside the courthouse. Eventually, it made its way out into the public. And once it hit the internet and the chat rooms, that started after Mr. Grickar's disappearance. It just got bigger and bigger. News organizations were covering this story. This really took on a life of its own. But I also had another question. Why would Mark Smith assume that Ray Grickar put that book on his desk? Yes, it is the book of statute that spells out who takes over in the event a district attorney is absent. But let me ask you a question. Just because the DA is missing and this volume of Purdens is on the first district attorney's desk, does it mean that Ray Grickar was the one that put it there? I mean, isn't that just supposition? Do two and two always make four? Are you getting the picture yet? Do you think something smells a little fishy? Okay, let me put it this way. Even if Ray Grickar and Mark Smith never had a conversation about who would be in charge in the event that the DA was AWOL, once a DA goes missing, somebody is going to look into what the statutes say because they want to follow the letter of the law. Even if they all thought they knew what to do, I just know those legal beagles at the Center County Courthouse were going to check with Purden statutes to make sure they were following the letter of the law. If nothing else, they had the county commissioners and the taxpayers to answer to, so they had to get it right. The statutes would have to have been turned to, and for that reason, no book needed to be left on a desk for them to know what to do. So, is this book on the desk thing starting to sound like a red herring to you now? Well, I really wanted to further understand it. And don't you think that story bolsters the theory that Ray Grickar left on his own volition, that he planned his exit? to the extent that it is reported that he leaves the book of statutes on Mark Smith's desk so that Smith will know what to do? I mean, really? So let me get this straight. About seven years before Ray Grickard disappears, when he takes that trip to Cleveland to watch a doubleheader and he doesn't tell a soul about where he's going or when he'll come back, do you think that after he got back and the dust settled, and Grickar made his mea culpas to his family, colleagues, police, whatever, whomever, that after that little incident, someone somewhere didn't check out what the statutes actually had to say on this? Or do you think Mark Smith and Ray Grickar already knew who would be taking over if something happened that would prevent Grickar from carrying out his duties? I mean, think about it. These men worked side by side for decades, and if they didn't have that figured out before Grickar went to Cleveland on that little sojourn back in the 90s, you think they may have kicked the ball around on that one afterwards? Yeah, I think those men knew what to do, too. The job is too big. It's too important. But we're supposed to believe that Ray Grickar magnanimously left this clue for Mark Smith. And let me take this one more step and say that I don't think anyone has ever questioned whether or not it was really 
Grikar, who left that book of statutes on Mark Smith's desk. I mean, think about it for a minute. Smith and everyone at the office just assumed that Ray Grikar left the book of statutes on Smith's desk. But did anyone ever consider that someone else with access to Mark Smith's office may have put that book on his desk? Is it possible that this story of the Book of Statutes on Smith's desk being a message from Ray Grikar clouded everyone's judgment in the DA's office? Or did it create a bias or blind spot in considering other options of what may have happened to Mr. Grikar? I'm sorry, folks, but from all my years of covering this missing DA, it just doesn't sound like the man's style. But I wanted to know more. So I emailed Mr. Smith about this incident, and I have published my email to him on the website at raygricar.com. Mark Smith never replied to that email where I was questioning him about this. But Smith did reply to another email I sent to him. It was another question, and I felt it went to the heart of the investigation into Grikar's disappearance. Several sources told me that when Mark Smith became the acting district attorney, he turned down a big offer of help to find his colleague not long after he disappeared. In my reporting, I learned that the offer of help came from Bruce Castor, who I said earlier was the district attorney in Montgomery County in 2005. My understanding was that Castor made a very detailed offer and a plan to help Mark Smith by offering to send detectives to Center County to help in the investigation of Grikar's disappearance, and that Mark Smith turned down the offer of Mr. Castor's help. So that didn't add up for me at all. I wondered why wouldn't Smith take the help? Compared to Montgomery County, Center County didn't even have one full-time detective at the time Mr. Grikar disappeared. Not one detective in this place where you have a Big Ten University and its subsequent population. Not one detective in this county, as I said before in another episode, where this major artery of a highway, Route 80, runs through Center County, Pennsylvania. And as I said before, this highway is used as a drug trafficking and child trafficking route. And the county didn't have one detective in 2005? So Bruce Castor, he's got detectives and lots of law enforcement. My sources told me Castor offered to send Mark Smith a couple of his detectives. And if it's true, why would Smith turn down the help? Grigar had been gone for almost a month. They were getting nowhere with the investigation. They didn't have a body or a trace of one. Grikar's bank accounts had not been touched. He didn't appear on any airplane manifests. Every lead was going to a dead end. So I sent Mark Smith this email to ask him if this was true. Did he turn down the offer of help from Bruce Castor? I sent the email to Mark Smith in November 2021. I have my email to Mr. Smith and his reply to me on the website at raygrikar.com. But in essence... I asked him if it was true that he turned down the offer of help, and if so, why did he turn it down? 
And was he pressured to turn it down by someone? I'm going to read to you Mark Smith's response to me, word for word. Mark Smith writes, Rebecca, I do not remember Montgomery County District Attorney Bruce Castor ever contacting me and offering me the assistance of his county detectives to assist in the Ray Gricar investigation. I did not turn down any offers of assistance from any law enforcement agency during the Gricar investigation. As I remember it, any time that the Belfont Police Department made a request for assistance to another police agency, i.e. to follow up on a lead, there was always full and complete cooperation. The offer might not have been made to me. I had an agreement with Dwayne Dixon, then Chief of the Police of Belfont Police Department. We agreed that I was in charge of operating the district attorney's office during Grickar's absence, and that Dixon and the Belfont Police Department were in charge of the Grickar investigation. You might want to check with Dixon or then-lead investigator Daryl Zagani on the credibility of your sources, Mark. So, in summary, Mark Smith says he does not recall being offered help And I wondered why he didn't remember such an offer of help. Mark Smith worked for Mr. Grickar for so many years. And by all accounts, from what I've learned, the two of them had an excellent working relationship. And from what I've been told by some of Grickar's former colleagues and people that knew him, both men deeply respected one another. So I'm trying to reconcile this in my mind. How do you turn down an offer of help? Don't you want to know what happened to your colleague? Don't you want to know where this man is that you've been working side by side with for almost 20 years? After weeks and weeks into the disappearance of this guy, there's no body, not even a shoe. I mean, is it just me? Wouldn't you take the kind of help that Bruce Castor offered? Lots of detectives? And my sources were telling me it wasn't going to cost Mark Smith or Center County any money for the help. Help brought in would be paid out by forfeiture money. That's the money that gets taken by law enforcement from criminals. It's what happens after, say, you know, there's a drug bust. They get a suitcase of drug money. They put it away. That's just an example, but that's what happens Eventually, that kind of money is used to help law enforcement efforts. And I wanted to know why Mark Smith turned it all down. Well, Mark Smith, you know, he replied to my email, and he said he doesn't recall an offer of help from Bruce Castor. He advises me to check on the credibility of my sources, which I thought, fine. So I went to Bruce Castor. I discussed this whole aspect of the case with him, And he went on the record with me for an interview, which is just a moment away. Bruce Castor, as I mentioned, was twice elected district attorney of Montgomery County. He also went on to serve for eight years as a county commissioner for Montgomery County. And he served for three years as a special assistant district attorney for Center County. And then he was appointed as state solicitor general and then became the state's acting attorney general for a short time. 
You also might recognize Bruce Castor's name from the Bill Cosby trials, and then again from when he stood on the Senate floor last year and led the defense of former President Donald Trump for his second impeachment trial. So let's pick it up here with part of my interview with Bruce Castor. I'm asking him if it was true that he offered to send Mark Smith help after Grigar disappeared. I'll meet you on the other side of this interview. I'm trying to tie up some loose ends, Bruce. And at the time we spoke 10 years ago, you told me that you had offered to send a couple of detectives from Montgomery County up to Center County to help with the investigation. Do you remember that? It was more than that. I, um, uh, Ray's great friends were um, Ted McKnight and um, Bob Buner. They were great friends of Ray's. Uh, and they uh, called me in the spring of 2005 because it was, the reason why that was significant is because uh, the previous year, I had run for state attorney general and was defeated. So I had to contact the guy who beat me <laughs> to become attorney general uh, and ask for a favor because I needed to have jurisdiction out there. If I was going to help with what those guys wanted to do, I had resources and um, these little counties didn't. Um, these were all friends of mine, although I didn't know Ray that well, but the rest of them were friends of mine. And um, what I had proposed was calling some of my DA friends around the state who had larger counties and asking them to put investigators uh, at my disposal that we would all be sworn in under the umbrella of the Attorney General to give us jurisdiction outside of our home counties. Uh, so I, um, I, I came up with this plan of creating a modern day they call a task force when you cross county lines uh, i lose my powers so i i was going to put together a group of uh, detectives and myself and and uh, maybe one or two other uh, senior level prosecutors with uh, experience and i was going to just run a, an investigation under the umbrella of the attorney general uh, and uh, i called Tom Corbett, who was then Attorney General, and had to ask him for this favor. And to his credit, he said yes, and um, said that he would do it. So then I called Mark Smith, who was the acting district attorney, and he said no. And he, that, in order for the mechanics under what's called the Commonwealth Attorneys Act, for the Attorney General to to get, gain jurisdiction uh, on what is otherwise a county case, he has to be invited in by the district attorney. And the district attorney was Mark Smith, um, as acting district attorney, and Mark refused to um, give permission for the attorney general to assume jurisdiction over the investigation. Um, so that ended our grandiose plans um, and I always liked Mark but um, the, the reason the case never went any further as far as 
uh, an investigation from out of county authorities uh, headed by me is because the um, acting DA did not believe that he needed help. I remember his his telling me no was a relatively short conversation on the phone, uh, and I. I I believed at the time, and still do, that he felt that local authorities were plenty capable and didn't need outside assistance, and it would become public that we were doing this, and it would, you know, would create the impression to the voters of that county that they couldn't handle it, and I understood that. The fact that I had to call the guy that beat me to get become attorney general was really not one of the highlights of my life. So I remember it very clearly. There's, And I, I spoke to Mark personally. It wasn't relayed through any intermediaries. And I knew I knew him already. I mean, I, I was eventually, I think that this is in 05. By 07, I was president of the State DA's Association. So you have to work your way up to that. So I knew pretty much everybody. Um, so he, I'm sure he forgot. I was going to give two detectives and myself, and then I was going to do the same thing with other large county DAs that I was friends with, so that we could spread the cost out. And I, I you're right about us. I, I wasn't going to charge them anything, and I wasn't going to charge the AG anything, because I thought that we had a responsibility to a fellow prosecutor, uh, and that I, I thought I could sell that to the public if the commissioners complained, which they would not have. Now, I want to be very clear, I hold Mark Smith in extremely high regard, like him personally and professionally. I would never say that he's lying, that he just forgot. Of course, of course. Um, let me ask you something, Bruce. Do you remember a meeting at the District Attorney's Association building in Harrisburg a few weeks after Grigard disappeared, where you were there with Ted McKnight and Bob Buner and Mark Smith and Dwayne Dixon? And Daryl Sagani, all those guys, they all came down from Belfont to give an update. Do you remember being in a meeting like that? No, I don't remember. I think they were in that meeting and they called me. Uh, and um, I was, because I remember I took the call in my car. And I think Bob and um, Ted were on the line. Um, or maybe they were on their way back. But I remember I took the initial, the initial contact was uh, they called me in the car and they specifically asked me uh, to help personally and then with, with my people. And I came up with the need to contact the attorney general, uh, which they liked. Um, you see, what the, the, the district attorney has to justify budgetary expenses to the county commissioners. So you have to use large counties so that the commissioners don't feel like you're spending a big chunk of your budget to help some other county. So these little counties, they might be able to loan a guy here or there, but if you're going to do something like this, you have to go to the bigger counties. Um, so I would be looking for counties um, that are like Allegheny County, which is Pittsburgh, like Montgomery County, like Bucks County, like Chester County, that size where you have 20, 25, 30 detectives, so you cut a couple off for a few weeks. Sure. It's not like you're hurting that bad. We also had access to large amounts of forfeited funds to pay overtime with, which the commissioners really 
don't want to do pay overtime, and smaller counties wouldn't have access to those forfeited funds. Bruce, do you have a gut feeling as to what might have happened to Ray Gricar? In the early years, I always was of the impression that that uh, that suicide was was likely because, if I'm not mistaken, there was suicide in his family too, right? His brother committed suicide uh, eight years before. So I so I always thought that that was the most likely explanation, and that he would turn up because it's hard to be successful in, in hiding a suicide. Over time, my thinking changed to foul play primarily because it's almost unbelievable to me that if it was a suicide, he hasn't been found. I came to the conclusion that it, that it must have been foul play and it must have had something to do with Ray's driving nature um, to uh, to catch bad guys and hammer them, and this is some teeny tiny little place where some big crime went through, and he was either onto it uh, or was about to be onto it or had information that was going to, in somebody's head, uh, lead him to them. And um, he was taken out. The DA's office and and the county government uh, is not the right size for a county that has that big university uh, in it. Uh, It's much too small. So that means you have no investigator with countywide jurisdiction other than the state police, and the state police don't report to the DA. They're supposed to, but they don't. In a county where you have no county detectives, you can't go around the state police. And uh, had my uh, boss out there been reelected, I would have insisted that she... um, hire county detectives even if she had to use forfeited money to do it because that that not not having your own detectives um, is such a uh, handicap okay so let's stop the interview at this point just for a minute because i want to ask you a question you who are listening to all of this i sort of think of you as like the jury what do you think would have happened if a team of crackerjack detectives from different places in the state had been invited to join in the investigation. Do you think they would have uncovered anything? Do you think these experienced men and women would have been able to make a difference? Is it possible that by getting some real top-notch detectives in there, we might have found out what happened to Mr. Grickar then? What might we have learned? Would those who were behind his disappearance have been brought to justice? So the bottom line is, those detectives never came to Center County. That crackerjack team that Bruce Castor offered to put together was turned away. It reminds me of what a source told me, something that I shared in a previous episode, that someone whispered into someone's ear not long after Ray Gricar disappeared, a source on deep background told me that a phone call was made to someone in Center County Courthouse and was told to, quote, 
keep the investigation in Center County, or you will be facing political suicide. Hmm. What does keep the investigation in Center County mean exactly? Do you think it could mean no detectives fanning out across the state, man? This is going to stay in Center County. It's not going anywhere. But think about it. Grickard disappeared in the neighboring Union County. That's where he was last seen, as the car he was driving. And then later, his county-issued laptop was found nearby, again in Union County. So why is someone telling somebody else to keep the investigation in Grickard's home county? Wait a minute. Think about it. That would be like if you disappeared 65 miles away from your home and where you work, but the investigation into your disappearance is not allowed to go beyond certain parameters. Would that make any sense? And doesn't the statement, keep the investigation in Center County, or you will face political suicide, sound like a threat? Who said those words? Who were they talking to then? Who would have had enough power to make such a threat in 2005? Bottom line, no detectives were allowed to come into the investigation. No detectives were allowed to fan out across the state and perhaps parts beyond to help. And while Mark Smith says he doesn't recall getting an offer of help from Bruce Castor, I wonder if he recalls the whole book story. But let's get back to the interview where Bruce Castor said something really shocking about some other files that went missing. When I was Attorney General, I held that position by virtue of an appointment from Kathleen Kane. She appointed me to fill in for her while she was dealing with her own criminal uh, charges. So I became... Attorney General of Pennsylvania on the say-so of one person. And when she was convicted uh, and resigned from office, um, uh, that made my appointment no good anymore. And um, I also held the title of First Deputy Attorney General. I was Solicitor General, First Deputy Attorney General, and Acting Attorney General. By virtue of holding the position of First Deputy Attorney General, I automatically became uh, interim Attorney General under state law. And I would hold that position until the governor appointed somebody to, to take over. This happened in August of 2016. The new Attorney General was going to take office in January. So... Everybody, myself included, assumed that I would simply uh, keep the seat warm from August until January and then help the new person who I knew real well, uh, and then I would go back to being a lawyer. Um, The majority leader, now um, uh, President Pro Tem of the Senate, was Jake Corman, uh, who's running for governor now. He found out that I had reopened the investigation into the second mile and was preparing to go to grand jury um, on the uh, second mile and the the misuse of state funds. 
tell detectives and send people out and it was actually happening. The state senate was in recess, summer recess, and wasn't due back until the 1st of October or something. The governor appointed um, somebody to be attorney general, and the senate was called back into special session just to vote me out, effectively, uh, in, the, in the fastest possible time. They, they, they have to, there's something like 14 or 15 days between when they're called into special session and when they can start. And they literally did it as fast as possible in order to get me out of the position. So the first day I came back to work after the Senate met in special session just to confirm my successor, all my file cabinets were locked and all my second mile stuff had disappeared. Somebody had come to work early and changed all the locks on all the file cabinets and doors in my office uh, and made it so I could not get into anything. Um, and all the second mile stuff disappeared and the investigation was dropped. That's an incredible story, Bruce. And it really fits my theory about what happened to Ray Grickar, because I believe he was building a case against Jerry Sandusky and possibly others who were propping Jerry Sandusky up while he was sexually assaulting a number of Second Mile charity children. The reason I, I pointed out what I did is I agree with that theory, and even as late as 2016, they are worried about that coming out and didn't want me to have three months or whatever it was to poke around in this. And they moved heaven and earth. You understand the state Senate's Republican. The governor is a Democrat. By virtue of a fluke, a Republican becomes the attorney general and the state Senate goes out of its way to come back into session to confirm that a Democrat appointed by the Democratic governor to remove the Republican. I I will be the last Republican Attorney General Pennsylvania ever had. So the enormity of that should start to sink in because the majority leader for the Republicans was this guy Jake Corman from Center County. Yes. sat on the board of the second mile. So they moved heaven and earth to replace the Republican with the Democrat, and they're a bunch of Republicans, when they could have simply run out the clock and had a Republican attorney general for that whole time. And the only explanation that fits the facts is they were the second mile um, concerned them, and that's the files that were removed from, from the office. From your office. All I can say is, wow. Wow. So Bruce Castor offers to help Mark Smith by offering to send detectives to Center County in 2005, which at the time had no county detectives, and Smith turns down the offer. Bruce then described his time as acting Attorney General of Pennsylvania when he had an investigation underway 
into the Second Mile Charity's finances. But he was suspiciously removed from this role by Jake Corman and his fellow Republicans to be replaced with a Democrat. And once Castor is removed from this position, the locks on his filing cabinets were changed and Castor's file on his investigation for the Second Mile Charity finances went missing. I wonder, did anyone ever pick up that investigation again? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I wouldn't bet on it. I also want to note here that after my interview with Bruce Castor was over, we had some more communication. And at one point, he sent me an email. In it, he said, quote, People's motivations are my opinions and deductions. However, the evidence is circumstantial and not conclusive. Okay, fair enough, Bruce. You know, sometimes it's just hard to find the words. But this leads to more questions, don't you think? For instance, why did Mark Smith turn down the offer for help from Bruce Castor? Ray Grikar was his colleague for 20 years. And remember, in Mark Smith's email to me, he said he had, quote, an agreement with Dwayne Dixon, then chief of the police of the Belfont Police Department. They agreed that Smith was in charge of operating the district attorney's office during Grikar's absence, and that Dixon and the Belfont Police Department were in charge of the Grikar investigation, unquote. Smith also recommended I might want to check with Dixon or then lead investigator Daryl Zagani on the credibility of my sources. I went back to my notes of meetings when I interviewed both Dixon and Officer Zagani, and I can't find anything anywhere where either one of them told me about an offer that came from Bruce Castor to send detectives to Center County to help find Ray Grickar. So I wonder, if Mark Smith forgot about Bruce Castor's offer, does it stand to reason that he forgot to tell his chief of police about the offer at the time? Another question. Do you think it's interesting that in 2016, the majority leader and president pro tem of the state senate in Pennsylvania, Jake Corman, the guy that was just running for governor and dropped out, well, he had Bruce Castor unceremoniously removed as Attorney General at the time. Remember, Jake Corman was a Penn State alum and a former member of the Board of Directors for the Second Mile Charity. And let me be clear, a lot of luminaries passed through the Second Mile Charity Board. As I said in a previous episode, if you're going to climb the social ladder in Center County, you were going to be associated with the Second Mile Charity, and many people were blindsided when the lid blew off the Second Mile and Jerry Sandusky was exposed to be a monster. But did Corman lead the charge to have Bruce Castor ousted as quickly as possible as the Attorney General because Castor was investigating the Second Mile Charity finances? Castor's files for the Second Mile went missing, and the investigation fell off the face of the earth. Sort of like Ray Grickar did. When Bruce Castor revealed that he had detectives working on an investigation into the Second Mile finances, I shared a little bit of information with him in a subsequent phone call. And I told him that several law enforcement sources told me that the federal tax returns 
for the Second Mile Charity for the years 2004, 2005, and 2006 were in the Grikar police case file at one point. But then they, too, disappeared from that case file sometime around 2011. Bruce Castor has his own reasons for wanting to know more about the finances of that now-defunct charity, and my reasons for wanting to know about how the money flowed through that charity has more to do with an idea that I've had for a long time now. If Mr. Grikar was disappeared, and it was done so in such a way that no trace of him was ever found, not even a shoe, well, that takes more than one person to pull something like that off. You need a crew, a few key people to fly under the radar that leave no trace. And you don't find people with that kind of skill set just anywhere. So if you want to take out a district attorney and leave absolutely no evidence of his disappearance, well, let's put it this way. It's time to call in the pros. And those guys cost money. And it's cash on the barrel head. And it's going to take a few bucks and then some to pull that kind of thing off. So where the hell did that money come from? Who arranged for the money? Who was the fixer? How many people were involved in taking Grikar out? I think it took a crew, but probably a small one. I'm guessing no more than five or six experienced players. Let's review. First, the district attorney goes missing. That's 2005. Then I see in the police case file that the Pennsylvania State Police number one recommendation was to convene a grand jury into the disappearance of Ray Grickar. That was in 2007. I have published that report and the recommendations that were made on raygrickar.com. Then, in 2009, a grand jury investigation is opened on Jerry Sandusky, and in 2011, the floodgates opened. Sandusky was sentenced to serve 30 to 60 years in 2012. Penn State University was brought to its knees, and the president of the university, Graham Spanier, did some jail time, and on and on and on. And then, in 2016, Bruce Castor began an investigation and was working towards a grand jury investigation into the Second Mile Charity Finances. What was it Mr. Castor said in the interview I just played? Oh yes, quote, they moved heaven and earth to get me replaced, unquote. And then his file on the Second Mile Finances goes missing. A DA goes missing, a file goes missing, what do you think's going to go missing next? What's it going to take before somebody finally pulls back the flap of the tent on all of this once and for all and starts issuing subpoenas? Which makes me circle back to who the next governor of Pennsylvania will be. The point is, whether it's Josh Shapiro or Mastriano, Will the next governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania put together a grand jury 
into the investigation of the disappearance of Ray Gricar, can the next governor of Pennsylvania do that? I bet the answer lies somewhere inside one of those volumes of Purden's Pennsylvania statutes. And will the next governor pick up that investigation that Bruce Castor started in 2016 into the Second Mile Charity Finances? Again, maybe Purdens has the answers. As this episode comes to a close, I am really struck again by what Bruce Castor said about how he thought Ray Grikar met with foul play. Castor said, it must have had something to do with Ray's driving nature to catch bad guys and hammer them. I think Bruce really summed up Ray Grikar with those words. His driving nature to catch the bad guys and hammer them. Well, episode seven is in production now, and I've got another red herring for you right out of the police case file. You're not gonna wanna miss this one. Do you see the picture that's emerging based on what I've told you so far in all these episodes? It's only gonna get clearer and clearer as I go on. And thank you for going through this with me. Your support means everything. Let's get justice for Ray Gricar, finally. And I'll see you next time on Final Argument. Thanks for listening.